Welcome back to Season 2 of the Heralds Podcast. Produced by Women's Ministries of the Salvation Army New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga and Samoa. I'm your host, Rosie Keane, from the Territorial Women's Ministries Department. Join us each episode to hear the courageous stories of wahine toa, mighty women, to spur you on in your mission with Jesus Christ in the everyday. Psalm 68.11 says, The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim the good news are a mighty army. We are those women, and we are that army. Welcome back to another episode of the Heralds podcast. We're really blessed to be here today with Mavis Miller. Mavis is from Porirua and has been um, in the same house for 63 years, was it? Mm. And we are just so looking forward to sharing with um, you all that Mavis brings to the table. She is a mathematician, she's a historian, she has so much life and we can't wait to um, just hear more about who you are and what fuels um, your sense of vitality. So Mavis, thank you so much and welcome welcome to the Herald's podcast. Thank you, Rosie. Mavis, uh, I'd love to know, how did you get involved with the Salvation Army? Well, I was born in 1932 at Gisborne my parents, uh, Harold and Ivy Clark, were Salvationists. My grandparents were Salvationists, wow. both the Clarks and the Slades. And um, we shifted to Auckland because it was um, depression times and wow. my father couldn't get work in Gisborne. He got work in Auckland and we shifted to a house in Point Chevalier and we all went to the Salvation Army at Congress Hall. Dad played in the band, and my sister Joan, who was born in 1934 at Gisborne, and I went to the primary. My spiritual journey really started at the Sunday school at the age of nine, when I went forward to Decision Sunday at the Sunday school uh, to receive Christ as my saviour. When I was seven, someone said, oh, you're old enough to be a junior soldier, but I knew that you had to make a decision before you yeah. could sign the pledge. The same at um, senior soldiers, they said, well, you're turned 14, you're involved in the army. Even though I was singing in the songsters, I wasn't ready to be committed as a senior soldier and wear uniform till I was 16. So it was quite a serious decision for you yes, at, yes. at 16 years old to go into uniform. What Do you remember what went through your mind as you were weighing up should I be a soldier? What will this look like to sign up to the Salvation Army as a senior soldier? Oh, I can't remember all that. <laughs> uh, but I remember reading the articles of war and I've still got a copy of it at home. It was definitely God leading. So how long have you been a soldier now? How many years? Oh, you don't ask me to do the arithmetic. <laughs> I'm 87 now. I just had a birthday last Saturday. Happy birthday! So that means I was... 71 years. You know, 71 years. years you've been a soldier. Yeah. You must have seen the Salvation Army um, culture change quite a lot from the 1940s through to now. Is there anything that you see that's markedly different about the Salvation Army now than it was back when you first became a soldier? Uh, there's always changes in uniform style, the songs we sing, whether you have bands or praise groups now. Um, but I think our basic doctrines have been the same because we believe that 
the blood of Jesus Christ mm. cleanses us and that's got to stay the same. Yes. I came to Wellington to do a Bachelor of Science degree in um, 1950. I met my husband, Norman Miller, we were at Lower Hutt then. In 1956 we had uh, three children by then. Then we had our first child, Raywin, in 1959. And um, the children all grew up in the area and we went to Tower Corps. I was involved in the Titai Bay Home League and the Songsters, and I helped my husband run the Tito Bay Sunday School Outpost. Wow. We had a lot of children come in there. So the Lord led us to join the Salvation Army Corps at Poro East, and that was 1966. And about uh, 17 of the children that came to um, the Sunday School there came with us to the wow. new corps, and we had to pick them all up. By this time I'd got my licence. I'd given up my studies at university to look after my family. And because I wanted to go back to university in 1966, I did that and I finished my degree in mathematics and started teaching part-time at the local schools. Somehow or other I started a diploma in maths and operations research and statistics. I had to do a thesis and I did the thesis on the characteristics of the Salvation Army Alcoholics Program wow. and that was published. I've got the book here. Wonderful. Social workers and things like that use the, the stats for various projects. So. so for those of you who are listening and aren't um, able to see, I've got a large thick folder of Lots of numbers I don't understand, obviously, why you get an incredible degree out of this. Wow, this must have been well, so useful. I had to do three of those, one for me, one for the Salvation Army, and one for the ISSN number. Uh, they keep it in the archives of the library, don't they? That's incredible. Thank you for showing us this. So how many um, hours or years of research is included well, in that book? three years. Three years of research. I learned to do programs and Algol and lots of other computer languages and learn to do graphs. I got quite a good mark for it too. So you were saying that in the, was it 1950s that you began your um, science degree? Yes. Was that quite unusual for um, a woman to be studying science in the 1950s? Uh, maths was common, chemistry not so bad, but when I did physics stage two, there was only two women in the class of about 50, I think. Wow. Doing stage two physics. So then you said you um, stopped studying to look after your family and then went back into studying later on. What was the period between um, finishing study and then beginning it again? Like 14 years. 14 years and you chose to go back and finish your degree. Yeah. Incredible. Did it take... Um, kind of psyching yourself out, like fortitude, to go back after a 14-year gap? Well, um, you had to get used to catching the train into Wellington and mixing with um, younger students, and um, it was very stimulating. I enjoyed it. And uh, for all the study there, you you meet people who are doing the, such the same things, you know, and uh, you encourage one another kind of out there question, but I just would love to understand your brain. How do you approach the Bible? 
Do you see order? Do you see chaos when you read the Bible? I'd have to think about that a lot, but I'm very interested in uh, how the world was formed. I studied um, nautical navigation and star navigation when I did my uh, Yacht Master's exams. I haven't come to that, but have I yet? No, you haven't. What is a Yacht Master exam? Well, my husband was very keen on boating. We had a fishing boat and we had a power boat and we went to Auckland one day out to Great Barrier Island in the power boat and we couldn't get petrol. So we decided to go yachting and we bought this gazelle 24 foot trader yacht. And my husband always said that what he wants to do, he wants his wife to do too, two together. We worked together as a team for a long time. So we went and got the boatmaster's certificate and the radio operator's license. And then I did the yacht master one. And I went on and got the ocean yacht master's certificate. Had to do um, nautical navigation. The mathematics helped you there. <laughs> and uh, our plan was um, when we retired, we were going to go right round New Zealand in the yacht. And um, we sort of did exploratory places, going across Cook Strait to the Sounds several times. And we'd done that in the powerboat 70 times. And wow. the uh, yacht soon got up to about 100 times across Cook Strait and, and all navigating the Palora Sound and the Queen Charlotte Sound as far away as Nelson and Puponga. So um, my mother died in 1996 and my husband Norman said, it's time to go. And I said, go where? He says, oh, a yacht trip, of course. <laughs> so we got the yacht ready and, and we did the North Island uh, trip in 1997. That took four and a half months. And we did the South Island trip what? in 2000, 2001. Wow. It took um, nearly six months. Um, I've written a book about all that there. I've got it here. Would you like to have a look at it? I would love to. It took us five and a half months to get around the South Island. We went from port to port, or estuary to estuary. And it was about four, four and a half months around the North Island. And the idea was that we were going to pray for the people of New Zealand at each port, and I've put that in the book. So it was quite interesting. We gave, were given a, a lecture in, in Christchurch, and um, after the lecture, we heard that one of the men who was a yachtsman had been saved, and they invited us to go to their place for lunch. And I said, how did that happen? He says, well, a lot of peace came in. He had a warm feeling that went all over him, and he knew it was the Lord touching him. I said, how can a businessman in a yachting uh, lecture receive the Lord? And, and I said, the Lord can do everything. So it wasn't us, it was the Lord and the Holy Spirit doing it. So that was an answer to prayer. Were there ever any times at sea that were um, scary or rough? Oh, yes. yes uh, we were on the beach at um, Bruce Bay on the South Island. We had a storm and another time in... Uh, Fovo Strait, we got a headwind and we had to detour. So that's all in the book. 
How wonderful. You can get the book from the libraries. The libraries have got them all. Wonderful. We'll include a link for those listening um, to Mavis Miller's Starlight around New Zealand books so you too can um, find it. I'd love to find out more as well. I mean, you have been a mathematician. You've been a yachting master. You've sailed around New Zealand. You've also led a 200-strong children's um, ministry what has been something inspirational that you've been a part of on top of what we've already um, heard in your time at the Salvation Army? God's call for us to leave Tawakor and go to Porua as a new mission. It was called a new home mission and we've been there since 1966 and uh, we've um, constantly in our mind that the Lord has called us and equipped us to serve him in a number of ways. And then in, after we retired, we went to Tonga to teach the band learners. I'd learnt the trombone to play. My husband was cornet player and he'd been teaching a few new learners at Pororua. And we took our program to Tonga for a month and in their school holidays, we, we taught a number of children and adult to play brass instruments. And that was special. Wow. We'd never been to a tropical island and they oh, we went to the um, king had a celebration or something and we went there and we heard this beautiful choir singing a wonderful hymn and had been taught and uh, wow. and we had a, a table of food and all the dancing and that sort of thing and it was rather special. It sounds like you are a woman who forges her own path wherever you choose to go. Is there anyone who comes to mind any women who have forged paths that you've really admired or been inspired by over your lifetime? I give credit to Brigadier Kiora Tyler. She was our Bible teacher when we first went to Porua. Captain Clem Gajulo said we're going to have all-age Sunday school. Kiora Tyler taught the adults in the morning, the Bible, and the same lesson she taught the Sunday school teachers, wow. and I was included in that in the afternoon. She did that for two years and got up to chapter 17 of Genesis. She came to stay and live at our place for six weeks while she went under. She had retired a couple of years earlier, and she became a good friend. She set the tone for the spiritual development of the Pororua Corps. Wow. Wonderful to have her knowledge and her still remember lots of things she taught us back then. That's amazing. I have read about Kiora Tyler. Mm-hmm. How incredible, a real life link to part of the Salvation Army's history. And on that note, I know that you have um, multiple biographies of different people. Is it all women? Biographies were for the women's suffrage who signed the petition in 1893. I was contacted by Stephanie Lang, I think, Land, and she was on the archives in New Zealand. They were wanting biographies of women who um, signed the petition. So they were trying to get some names of people, so I looked up their website of people I knew, and I found my great-grandmother, Isabella Laws. She died before I was born, but she lived with my grandmother, grandparents as Clarks, and my father was able to tell me a lot about her. She was very good at handcrafts. She was taught by the Catholics, and um, she had 12 children. Wow. There's a photograph of them. Isabella was a kind and generous 
Methodist and she opened up her house in about 1900 to a group of Salvationists for cottage meetings because their neighbours had a, a contagious disease. Wow. That was the Newtons. It was during these cottage meetings that my grandmother, Sarah, became convicted of salvation and, um, and later joined the Salvation Army and that's where she met her husband, Joseph, Joseph Clark. I knew them very well in Gisborne. I also knew my other grandparents, Amy Florence Swainson and William Arthur Slade. They were all Salvationists at the core. So that's how we became Salvationists in the family, you know. Now, Isabella continued to live in their house in Napier after her husband Robert died in 1915. Uh, we've had a Laws family reunion in, in 2014 and there was a number of um, descendants who were full-time pastors in the um, or lay members of the Methodist and Salvation Army churches. Now, um, Isabella was very good at handiwork and she made a embroidery, tapestry embroidery of the Holy Family, Mary, Joseph and Jesus and the donkey and that's been handed down and kept and a lot of other of her handcrafts were on display at that reunion. Wow. That's been handed down to me. I loved doing crocheting and embroidery when I was young. That was good to know that our cousins and second cousins are still serving the Lord. Yeah, so that faith has been an inheritance that's been mm. shared. How beautiful. So you have Isabella Laws, who signed the suffrage petition, and Arabella Valpe. Yes. Um, who else have you researched? Uh, Captain Agnes Scott, I put her in, and um, Elizabeth Medlin from Great Barrier Island, and Hannah Chamberlain, another great-great-aunt. Uh, I've done a lot from the family history of our families. I drew on that for a lot of the information. Wonderful. But um, I drew on my sister's book, um, As For Me and My House, for Agnes, um, Agnes Scott. So your sister wrote this book? Yes. Um, well, you're a prodigious writing family, aren't you? Well, not really a more mathematician than writer, but she was the writer and I helped her with that. So what does As For Me In My House, what's this? It's the history of the people who came to the Gisborne Salvation Army. So the people who came originally to the Gisborne Salvation Army, were they um, Gisborneites? Were they people who lived in Gisborne? Were they attracted from out of town? Well, I think there was, there was a lot of immigrants from Scotland. Really? And, uh, they, and of course they brought their next to kin and there was a lot of migration from um, Blantyre. I didn't know that. Wow. And so they, this is As For Me and My House by Joan Hudson, a salute to early Gisborne Salvation Army families 1886 to 1952, which we'll include a link to as well. So she's a major. She's an officer. She retired. She passed away in 2012. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Mm-hmm. So she would have been an officer for many, many years and yes. wrote this book. And so you were saying that you've got Salvation Army officers and lay people and Methodist ministers all throughout your family, do you? Mm -hmm. How wonderful. And you yourself have been a minister in so many capacities to 
um, children and to the people at your core. And I love what you said earlier in the conversation about your husband um, and you traveling to Porirua, feeling that was a real call that God had equipped and called you to be in that community. Um, I know it's not on the questions, but I'm going to ask you, what did that mean for you to be called to Porirua as a community? What did that mean in the everyday life? It meant that we met different sorts of people, people who had had a need for a state house, they had a need for work, they needed to find a a spiritual home and the core supplied it with um, teaching their Sunday school and they were prepared to send their children to the Sunday school. I think was at the beginning there wasn't much of the way of uh, community halls or other clubs and things like that and Salvation Army met, met a need of people to be able to connect, I think is the word. There were big families. One family had nine children and wow. six were, was quite possible. That question caught me on the hop. <laughs> you answered wonderfully. It's, very, it's a very um, challenging and wonderful thing to share that you felt called to a community and to be present and to be um, yeah, part of the families and Fano and teaching. I was reading about Arabella Valpi um, Mm -hmm. this morning before you came and that she, of course, sent the note that began the Salvation Army for us all as we know it, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? Um, I didn't realise that Arabella Valpi, when she um, wrote to William Booth, signed her um, small note saying, good general, won't you come to New Zealand? And she signed it, a well-wisher. She didn't even write her name. Why do you think that was? Well, um, the draft was in the names of her and her widowed mother and another lady, so it wasn't only her, but I think she's probably the money. Yeah. What was it? Um, £200 was a lot of money in those days. It only cost £20 for, to come by ship all the way from England to New Zealand. So wow. they were able to supply two officers and their, their expenses. I don't know what else they spent, but they... They started in Dunedin and um, all go from then, I think. So Mavis's wonderful study that she has written up is featured on the government website, which we'll provide a link to in the notes um, at the end of this podcast. It's really well written and researched. That's where I found out um, the quote I just used about um, Arabella Valpi signing um, her request to William Booth to send the Salvation Army to Dunedin, New Zealand, um, a well-wisher. And I read about the £200 and I used Google to find out how much that would be worth today. Apparently it's about $43,000. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. Two years' wages for the average person. So mm-hmm. uh, quite incredible. It reminded me of the uh, woman in the Bible, well, there's two of them, the woman of Bethany and Mary, um, who poured perfume on Jesus' feet that was worth a year's wages. Uh, how was Arabella to know whether or not anyone would respond to this massive influx of money? She'd never met any of them, and yet they sent Pollard and Wright and now the army as we know it today. That's really wonderful. Thank you. I want to honour you. Thank you for this uh, wonderful uncovering of history. Is there anything else you'd like to share from Arabella? I've abridged uh, the report that was in the Woman of Spirit book by Captain Barbara Sampson. It's a wonderful and book. And uh, that and uh, a few others. And uh, the one on Elizabeth Medlin I got from Sam Medlin's book. Amazing what you can find when you dig deep. 
So you um, have researched so many of these women's lives. What have you found most inspirational as you read the stories of these women salvationists? What can we learn or what have you learned about that spirit of the army these women carried? Oh, they were God-inspired, weren't yes. they? Yes, yes. Yeah. Did you come away feeling... Um, encouraged or fired up to do more as you... Oh yes, I got a few more in the pipeline but I gave um, gave it over Christmas New Year but I'll have to do a little bit more research before I send in a few more. You're constantly relying on God to guide you and lead you in the decisions you make and the opportunities you've been given are just... Um, uh, incredible. My husband and I have got a number of hobbies and he was keen on motorcycling as well as cars of course and he was a motor mechanic and had his business. He's also keen on sailing and uh, helping people but in retirement decided we'd like a motorbike trip so we went and got a, a small bike and went off to Blenheim. Our heavy bodies plus our camping gear was too heavy for this light BSA 360 motorbike a friend said, well, why don't you get a Goldwing? It's a, a superbike. So we looked into it and we bought a Goldwing K1 and we joined the Goldwing motorcycle group. We met some friends who were doing a trip around Australia. So it was seven of us and we flew the bikes over to Australia and I was the secretary for the group and had to decide on our route and where we stayed. We had little trailers, we had camping gears, even a gazebo. And we went all the way around Australia in a period of four and a half months and did 17,000 miles. It was a wonderful trip. We'd been retired then. We're now life members of the, the New Zealand Goldwing Riders. That's how you say it. And it was a wonderful, we've had a wonderful retirement since 1991 and we've done a lot of things together. It helped us to um, realise wonderful opportunities we've had and thank God for them all. And now I tell people, we're not retired, we're just tired. <laughs> we've got bits that don't work as well as they used to and even though I know how to do things, I can't. I take a lot longer to do things than I used to. But I still play in the Porua Salvation Army Band as trombone. My husband lost his... I'm sure to play the cornet a few years ago. He's playing the flat bass. And uh, he gave up the bandmaster's job there in 2012. And our daughter, Raven Tato, is now the bandmaster. So we're still serving the Lord in the core, but in a, a lesser capacity than we used to. We used to do Bible studies and all sorts of things. and. Um, help people in practical ways and I was on the core council for 43 years and um, wow. I had to give that up because I went to sleep in the meetings. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> and, um, and also uh, it opened up for other people to uh, serve there. But my voice is just about gone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mavis. What an inspirational life. And I want to affirm you that it's not a lesser way, it's a different way. I have learnt so much um, from even the small amount that I've read of um, your research. And there's just, 
decades of work that you've forever immortalised in print um, from your mathematician skills for the statistics and I bet it's helped shape the army in the way that we um, work with um, addictions and uncovering the voices of the women in history and the legacy you leave with those children that you led and the community that you've been part of. Thank you so much Mavis. Um, it's been a real honour, just very eye-opening and really humbling to speak with you. Thank you for making time and coming in here. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Father, thank you for my friend Mavis. Um, what a treasure um, she is, full of knowledge, of information, of history, but also of joy in the future that her work and her mind and her um, committing and continuing to be present in Porirua has changed the lives of so many. So I thank you that um, because of women like Mavis, um, women like me get to be part of an army that is alive and active, that we get to see where you've been working God. And you say that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And so I pray Amen. for Mavis as she continues to seek you, God, and seek your will, that you would um, just cut away anything um, that like blinds her or doesn't let her see so clearly what it is that she is made to do even right now. So bless her study. Bless the um, woman that she's going to be looking at and the profile she's going to be making in the future Thank you for her family and that history of grace that they have. Um, long may it continue. Bless Porirua Kor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me get you a water. Thank you so amen. much, Mavis. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Herald's Podcast. Join us next time as we sit down with Ingrid Goodwin Barrett, editor of the Salvation Army War Cry. Ingrid is a prophet and carries the spirit and air of a mystic as she asks, what happens when we insist there is such a thing as a real woman? Does it mean we must be silent, nurturing and good at baking cakes? What if we fail in the world's definition of identity? Join us as we debunk cultural expectations, question things we don't understand to find God's revelation and end up finding ourselves as children of God. I actually like to reclaim the word feminism mm. and sometimes I call it the F word. Um, <laughs> but certainly for most of my life, I've heard Christian women say, I'm not a feminist, but, mm. and I'll be like, aren't you? Because do you believe that women are equal with men? Because that's actually a really biblical teaching and that's mm. what the heart of feminism is. I think you could call Jesus one of the first feminists mm. because he treated women as if they were equal to men. We'd love you to join our community. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash salvationarmy.wm or our website woman.salvationarmy.org.nz Thanks to Jessica Keane and the Salvation Army Creative Ministries Department for helping produce this podcast.